Today's scripture is from Luke 6, chapter, verses 37 through 42. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And you give, and you will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. He also told them a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully qualified will be like the teacher. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye? Do not, do not, but do not notice the log in your own eye. Or how can you say to your neighbor, friend, let me take out the speck in your eye when you yourself do not see the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Alan. I want to tell you one thing that I really appreciate about my dog. Whenever we're out walking, it doesn't matter where we are, in our own neighborhood, walking around Walnut Creek or at Chalco, if we're out in the woods somewhere, no matter where we are, when Mabel sees another dog, she wants to say hello. Now this is true if the dog is coming toward us on the sidewalk. She starts to pull at her leash, making it clear to me her desire to see the other dog. It's true if we only see a dog up on the horizon, just in sight, she'll stand up a little straighter, poke her head up, perk her ears up, and watch the dog until it's no longer in sight. She just wants to meet all the dogs. When we're close enough, and I can ask the other owner if it's okay to say hi if their dog is friendly, I do, and, and if it's okay, then I let up on the leash and Mabel can go and touch noses with her possible new best friend. Yesterday, Matt and I took Mabel to Chalco, and Mabel got to greet a beautiful German shepherd, a golden retriever who was all wet from playing in the last remnants of the snow, and a little corgi puppy named Murphy, who was the cutest thing you can ever imagine. And all three times, of course, there was this moment of sniffing, and then Mabel, she bowed down to signal that she wanted to play, and there was some jumping and wrestling that ensued, and, and then we said thank you, and we moved down the sidewalk. And after meeting a new friend like this, Mabel will often be so excited that she will jump up and grab her leash and just thrash her head from side to side as hard as she can. So much enthusiasm. It's just such a thrill to meet another dog. She has to celebrate. Mabel wants to meet all the dogs, all of them. She doesn't care how big they are or how small. She doesn't care how old they are, though she has a special love for puppies. She doesn't care what color they are, what the color of their fur is, or how long or how short it is. She doesn't care about the last time that they had a bath. A few weeks ago, she spent a long time playing with a dog at the dog park that only had three legs. Mabel just wants to meet all the dogs. She doesn't prejudge a single one. 
And I wish, in this way, that I was more like Mabel. If I'm being honest with you, in the pulpit, I think I should always strive to be as honest as I can be, I do not approach other people with the same openness anywhere close to Mabel's. And I suspect that you don't either. Instead, when we meet up with people, especially new people, we judge them in all kinds of ways before we even say hello. Before we know anything for sure about them, we size people up based on what they're wearing and how they walk and who they're with and how much they weigh and what color their skin is and what their hair looks like and what they're driving and a dozen other things that we use to concoct a story about them and how they might interact with us. And we do it quickly. In a lot of ways, we do it subconsciously. And we do it naturally. But that doesn't mean it's helpful to us. When I moved into my house in Bonner Springs, Kansas, I was still single. And my parents came up from Wichita that day that the moving truck arrived to help me unpack and, and after everything had been moved in. And it was a brand new house, and my next door neighbor was very interested in who was gonna live in this house that he had, been watch, uh, he had watched being built next door. So he saw my parents outside, and he came up to my dad, and he introduced himself. And then Mike offered uh, help in any way he could as they got settled in. And my father quickly explained, no, 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 we're not the new homeowners, our daughter is, and he motioned to me across the lawn to come over. So I came over and I introduced myself to Mike. And when he figured out that I was single and that I bought the house alone, he said, well, if you ever get scared, like in the middle of the night and you need to come over, don't hesitate to knock on our door. And I stared at him in slight disbelief. <laughs> I know he was trying to be nice. I know he was trying to be hospitable, even neighborly. But he had made a judgment about me based on a lot of assumptions that somehow I couldn't protect myself or that I was going to be so nervous being in a house alone that I would need to come to neighbors for reassurance. I think I told him something like, if I'm ever in a situation that's scary, Mike, I'm going to call the police. You can imagine it was not the best start to our neighborly relationship. And this is the problem with our judgments. They get in the way. They get in the way of our relationships. It's true with strangers. We get closed off to the possibility of who the other person is because we've made a judgment about them before we even meet them. But it's also true about relationships with people we know. Our judgments and our assumptions, they get in the way with coworkers and friends and even family. It was supposedly Mother Teresa who said, if you judge people, you have no time to love them. I suspect that's a quote to which Jesus would say, amen. He would say, that's what I'm getting at, and he would point us back to the passage that we have today from the Sermon on the Plain. We're here in week three of our sermon series, The Good Life, and we're looking in depth at Jesus' central teaching in the Gospel of Luke. This is Jesus' way of sharing with us how to live life as a disciple. He's showing us this is how you live close to the kingdom of God. It's a roadmap for how to live a vibrant, a joy-filled life. And it's full of stuff that's counterintuitive to us. At every paragraph, we find habits that run against our natural instincts. 
And this reminds us that we need God's help every step of the way in order to be able to live in the way that Jesus asks us to live. Remember two weeks ago, the blessings and woes? Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry, woe to you who are full. And then last week we heard Jesus talk about not giving back violence for violence, but letting God have the revenge. Instead, he said, offer the other cheek, pray for your enemies, do to others as we would have them do to us, even the ones who hate us and revile us and steal from us. That's a high bar for grace in our relationship. And as we move on in the sermon today, the theme continues. Jesus is still talking squarely about how we treat other people. Do not judge, he says. Do not condemn. Forgive. You know, there are moments when the Bible takes real work to understand. Passages we have to pour over, read slowly, deconstruct with the help of Bible commentaries and the wisdom of scholarship. Today's passage is not one of those moments. There are other moments when the Bible speaks really clearly and succinctly and forcefully in a way that's hard for us to misinterpret. But just because a passage is clear or simple doesn't mean that it's easy or simple to do. It's just that it's hard to nuance our way out of this thing that Jesus is calling us to do. Do not judge, do not condemn, forgive. It's pretty clear. Thanks, Jesus. It's also a teaching that I need to hear over and over and over again because my tendency is to judge and judgments get in the way of our relationships. They keep us from loving our neighbors as ourselves. And sometimes that happens in ways that that seem almost harmless. Like maybe this is a story that you've heard before, but I think it's a great example of this. A young couple moved into a new neighborhood The next morning while they were eating breakfast, the young woman saw her neighbor hanging the washing outside. Some of you remember when he used to hang the washing outside. That laundry's not very clean, she said. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on, remaining silent. Every time her neighbor hung the washing out to dry, the young woman made the same comments. A month later, the woman was surprised to see nice, clean wash on the line, and she said to her husband, look, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her this? The husband replied, I got up early this morning and cleaned our windows. (laughs) Now, that story falls well in line with the example that Jesus gave in his own sermon. He says that those are, that judge are like someone who pulls the, points out the speck in their friend's eye while not noticing the log that's sticking out of their own. And then he calls us hypocrites, which stings a little, Jesus, stings a little. But for us, like the woman with the dirty windows, it's so much easier to assume the problem was with someone else instead of an issue with us or our own perception. And I find it interesting that this passage is the only place in the whole New Testament that the word hypocrite appears. It's a Greek word, actually, and it means simply to play a part on a stage, pretending to be something one is not. And it it appears here in Luke and in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says this exact same thing about removing the log from your own eye before you worry about the speck that's in your neighbor's eye. 
judgment leads to hypocrisy. And that causes damage to our relationships and to our sense of well-being. So Jesus wants us to focus first and foremost on ourselves. We need to worry about getting ourselves right with God and right with our neighbor before we go out cataloging the sins of others. Judgments get in the way of our relationships. And sometimes they have minor consequences, like realizing, oh, we need to wash the windows. And sometimes our judgments have much more disastrous consequences. A few days ago, I listened to an essay on a podcast that was originally published in Runner's World magazine. Now, Runner's World is a magazine that talks about, can you guess? Running, right, good job, running. This was an essay about running or about one particular run that ended in great tragedy. It was about the last run that Ahmaud Arbery took in Glynn County, Georgia on a February afternoon in 2020. Now you might well remember this story from the news a year ago. It happened just as the pandemic was unfolding. Arbery was a 25-year-old African-American who lived in Brunswick, Georgia with his mother after leaving college a few years before. He dreamed of being an electrician He worked at McDonald's. He had a girlfriend of five years. He'd been a gifted high school football player, but too small to land a scholarship anywhere. He liked to go running to stay in shape. In the middle of that run on a February afternoon, he was about two miles from his house, and he stopped to look inside a house that was under construction. Now, I don't know about you, but I have done this many times myself. Matt and I did it several times in our old neighborhood, which was a brand new subdivision. Walking the dog, we'd stop and walk into a new house uh, and walk around the plywood floors, roaming through the framed out rooms, guessing which room was which and imagining how the house would look finished. That's what Arbery did. And he was far from the only one. Security cameras show four or five other people doing the exact same thing in the two weeks previous, and nothing in the house had ever been disturbed by these people, nothing had been stolen, including as Arbery left that day. But someone nearby saw him go in and go out and then take off running because he was on a run, and they called the police. The dispatcher asked what the young man had done wrong. He took off running was the answer because he was on a run and police were dispatched. But before they could get there, as Arbery ran down the street, Travis and Gregory McMichael saw him run by and they assumed, I don't know what they assumed, but their judgment was instant and it was swiftly condemning. They grabbed a shotgun, they grabbed a revolver, they jumped in their truck and they pursued him. They caught up to him, they brandished their guns, and they told him to stop. And he, alone on the street, tried to evade them. He tried to escape, but he had no weapon. He had nothing with which to fight back, and within minutes, he was lying on the ground dead from two shotgun wounds to his chest. The McMichael's judgment led them to fear, to paranoia, and to the idea that somehow they were entitled to vigilante justice. They had no idea who Ahmad Arbery was or what he was doing on that street. They had no idea what his talents were, what he dreamed of doing, or all the good things he did for his family and friends. 
They didn't have a clue who he loved or who loved him, who would cry hardest when they took his life. They didn't know any of that because they didn't ask a single question. They just let their judgments control them. Now, the story of Ahmad Arbery is an extreme case of judgment destroying life, but it's not an isolated case. We know that. Swift and damaging judgments happen far too often around us, and far, far too often black Americans are the ones who get harassed, threatened, or worse while doing really normal things like going for a run or coming home from work or going shopping. Getting harassed, threatened, or worse. It happens to all kinds of people when they run into the judgment of others. And if you have a story or someone in your life has a story about a moment like that, when that happened to you or to them, I hope that remembering that today fuels your conviction to be different in the world. When I hear or read about the story of Ahmad Arbery, I am sickened. And it makes me want to live even more with the kind of presence that Jesus asks us to have, one that does not offer judgments right and left, but instead approaches the world with humility. A humility that says, I want you to tell me who you are before I guess. I'm trying to work on myself first. And in order to do that, in order to work on myself, I have to release some of my automatic judgments. And I'm gonna need God's help to do that. Lots of God's help. But just like with everything in the Sermon on the Plain, if Jesus asks us to do it, God is prepared to give us the grace to be able to do it. It's not just about us deciding to live better. The Holy Spirit wants to work inside of us to transform us into people who approach others with grace and with openness, not with judgment or condemnation. And God knows it's going to take some time to transform our habits. But God is able to do amazing things if we're willing to have an open heart and give God time to work. I once had a facilitator at a continuing education event get up and declare, I think for Lent this year I'm going to give up being judgmental. And we all laughed when she said it. It's a kind of a funny thing to give up for Lent. But if taken seriously, it could actually be a bold statement about trying to follow the way of Jesus. It became a sort of running joke for us over the week that we spent together. A few times a day, she or someone else would make some statement, just let something slip that had this hint of judgment in it, and then she or someone else would pipe up, oh, but we're giving up being judgmental for Lent. It was surprising how often we said judgmental things when we started actually paying attention to it. What if, for the rest of Lent, we attempted to give up judging other people? Or at least we ask God to help us start giving it up. I mean, it's not going to be easy, especially if you are on social media at all, which is like prime time judgment zone, right? You scroll and you're just invited to judge and judge and judge. But I believe that if we ask God to help make us aware, if we ask God to start saving us from our own judgmental selves, if we ask God to work on transforming our hearts into people who approach our neighbors with openness and grace, God can do amazing things. May it be so. Amen.